Conversations on Economic Opportunity, produced by Ann Arbor Spark. Ann Arbor Spark is a public-private academic partnership that's creating economic activity and prosperity in the Ann Arbor region. Innovative businesses and leaders are what make Ann Arbor a destination for startups and growing global businesses. By sharing their stories, they share what makes this region stand out for the exceptional schools, abundant parks, amazing community services that all contribute to our quality of life. Conversations on economic opportunity are a way to spotlight those who are helping this region thrive. Well, joining me today on our podcast is Catalina Cayurahuang, who uh, was a recent winner of our uh, People's Choice and uh, IT sector uh, competition that we had as a part of A2 Tech 360. So we're uh, glad to have her on today, and she's going to tell us a little bit about uh, how she is progressing, how she came to work with us, and uh, we think it'll be a really interesting um, discussion. So anyway, so Catalina, how did how did you first come to Ann Arbor Spark, and how has being a client of ours, the our entrepreneurial services team, helped your business? So um, I came to Ann Arbor Spark, but to Ann Arbor period through um, going to the University of Michigan. I got my MBA at the Ross School of Business and my master's in education. Uh, I focused on learning design at the School of Education. Um, So that's what brought me to Ann Arbor specifically. But Spark was um, when I had a um, stint in consulting during my MBA program and I realized Oh, 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 no, 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 no. I'm not going into traditional corporate America. Uh, I'm not going to work on what I'm passionate about. So I know what I'm passionate about, which is solving a pain point I personally experienced and connected my prior work before my MBA. And I was like, I need to work on this startup. So I became obsessive while everybody was drinking at Skeeps during their MBA. I was trying to solve this problem and figure out how I was going to graduate and form a company instead of take a corporate job. So that research and of course, interacting with Zaluri, I learned about Spark and I started initially attending some events. Uh, like there was some pitch events, there was events. And then I met Bill and Bill, Bill was so incredibly helpful. Um, there you're all, um, fund that helps us work with executives on specific tasks is what actually preliminarily got in, um, gave us funding. And and that's how I met my co-founder. He left StockX, the Detroit-based unicorn, and is actually now my co-founder because of the funding Spark provided for us to work on a project together. And um, I came in and learned about like your internship fund and all types of additional resources that I was able to access. And that really helped me get to a very solid place that by the time I graduated, I felt comfortable saying I'm doing this instead of taking a corporate job. And honestly, I could not have felt comfortable like that if it weren't for, of course, Zolari, but Spark, who is providing so much additional support and resources, right? And that was before I um, moved to Ipsy and even started working in the um, Ipsy space. So I was super grateful, like Bill personally uh, connected me with all types of individuals. And I just, yeah, I've been super grateful for everything uh, Spark has provided um, for me along the way. Yeah, so for everybody on 
the podcast. The bill that Catalina is mentioning is Bill Mayer, who's the head of our entrepreneurial uh, services team at Spark. And I guess what, what's interesting about what you just shared is that was the whole idea. I mean, we've, we've been around now 18 years, but it was the whole idea at the beginning, which was there are, there are young people like yourself who are coming to the University of Michigan. Um, you, uh, you are interested in entrepreneurship. You're interested in potentially starting a company. But one of the things that the, the president, president ago, Mary Sue Coleman, understood was we needed to create an ecosystem outside the university. That yes, the university uh, provides you with uh, great training. Uh, in some instances, uh, I don't think it's your case, but in some instances they license technology out to entrepreneurs. But once that happens, once you get that that uh, work at at, at Zellery in, in in at Ross and maybe get some some technology license to you, how how do you get the help you need to really form a company and to get it off the ground? And so that was the whole idea. It was interesting that you tell that story because that's the whole idea. That's that's you you've described our mission and what we were trying to accomplish. Uh, over over the many years and have had a lot of success with that. So thanks for sharing that. Um, so what we want to, I guess, I want to congratulate you on, we had our our uh, competition in terms of A2 Tech 360, and, and we had a particular pitch competition for the IT sector, and you won that. And then uh, you had the opportunity with the other winners and the other categories to uh, participate in uh, the Tech Talk program in our People's Choice, and you were the People's Choice from the Invest360 competition. So, so that means that Spark not only is helping you the way you've described, but we're making a $100,000 investment to help grow your company, LoanSense. So how do, you, how do you plan to use those resources? Yeah, so first and foremost, it came in a very... Um, amazing time because within winning that competition, I um, got a million dollar lead investor term sheet and I'm closing my $2 million seed round. Um, looks like we're over subscribing and to this round, which I'm super excited about. Um, and honestly, the majority of my investment is coming outside of the state of Michigan. Um, and I say this because um, all those resources that we're raising right now is 100% going to be used towards improving our product development to scale. Uh, and of course, um, signing up more enterprise lenders um, on, on our platform as well as um, larger integration partners. So. I'm not at liberty to say on this on this podcast who who some of these bigger companies are, but our our ideas that we're going 2022 is Loan Sense's year in terms of our ability to scale, and so we're going to use all those resources, including Sparks one hundred thousand dollars, to really um, reach scale with our product and our sales capabilities, um, and we're super excited because 2022. Like we're a digital student loan advisor that reduces student loan payments, improves debt to income and increases affordability for a home by about $98,000. And we're plugging straight into um, 
the lender lender technology that will basically loan sense envisions a world where we don't tell buyers, especially my generation, those in their 30s who hold the majority of student loan debt. We're not telling people yes or no, because that's how lending works. We tell people yes or yes when, and we give every single person a plan and hope and treat them like an individual Mm -hmm. instead of a sales um, pipeline and a garbage funnel. That's literally how we're treating people today. And I think that's wrong because telling someone you can't afford a home or you can't afford enough with this housing market is crushing and demoralizing. And there needs to be an alternative. We have so much data. We have self-driving cars, self-driving everything you see in the streets of Ann Arbor. Why can't we tell people what the action they need to be taking to actually get qualified for building wealth? Like it's wrong that people come out of a university, get this student loan debt burden, and then they don't understand the implications. And later they're told a few years later, oh, you can't buy a house. You can't do all these things. And I think that's wrong. And so we're out to change that. We're out to change how underwriting works for our generation, period. We're starting with student loan debt and mortgage, but we're going to expand. And so really long answer to your very short question is we, you're, you're going to help us fulfill our mission to reach 25% more of people, are the purchaser market, and help them close. And we have to do that through scaling our product and growing our sales team. So your $100,000 is contributing to our $2 million round to do exactly that. So, so maybe take a step back and just t- describe a little in more detail um, how how your product works. Uh, so, um, you're trying to reach, as you described, uh, the particular demographic uh, that has this particular problem. So, you're you're you know that's always one of the great things about entrepreneurs. They see a particular pain point and they try to solve it. But tell me how it works. If, if yeah. I was, if I, and I'm not, unfortunately, and, uh, you know, with my kids, uh, and we were able to, we were able to manage all that debt. Okay. Uh, and, and I'm done with that, but I got grandchildren uh, coming right. up now. So, so say I'm, I'm a young person with, you know, $30,000, maybe more of student debt. Um, what, 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 how do you, how do you start working with them? So um, we, we're a tool used by lenders. So either you're coming to that lender or the lender is marketing that they, that they can help you even if you have student loan debt. Okay. So we're like a marketing platform that lower, we lower the cost per click. We help lenders engage with the main pain point of our generation because the reality is a mortgage lender is the average person's financial advisor. The average person will never have a financial advisor. The mortgage advisor is the common person's financial advisor. So what we're saying is to reach our generation, you can't just do yes or no. You have to address what the key issue is, which the number one barrier for our generation is actually student loan debt because it's leading to high debt to income, right. which is excluding our generation right now. And it's that's a fact. I mean, 60% of the purchaser market has student debt. It's a huge problem. So there, how it works is we allow lenders to very easily estimate through an affordability calculator, can we reduce the student loan payment and as a result, increase affordability? The lender invites the consumer to our actual platform where we let them answer five questions. They upload their student loans and we are like a turbo tax for student loan experience okay where we're filing into interest subsidy programs of the U.S. Department of Education. And those subsidies credits on their student loans allow them now, let's say we lower their payment by $500 on their student loan payment and get loan forgiveness, by the way, 
That $500 now can be used for um, their mortgage payment. So we're converting student loans into equity building mortgages. That's literally what we're doing. And then we report back all the improved debt to income across all five mortgage types to that lender. So what we're essentially doing is we're allowing a lender to help a bar with student loans without understanding any complex student loan regulation. And we're also allowing them to do this without understanding any mortgage credit rules. So we're literally scaling and automating the way lenders can reach and solve the student loan problem before they just deny them for no good reason when we could have done something had that loan officer just known what the options were. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And you're giving you're giving the your, the client uh, a plan uh, of how to proceed. And you're right. Uh, the the notion that you would have the garden variety mortgage loan officer being conversant in what to do, or even being you know what what even being interested in doing that, um, I think it's it's great. It's, it's, it sounds like you're really really. Uh, um, going to be able to make a difference. And I think you've covered this, but are there, are there other challenges that you see with the student loan industry that, that uh, you're working on? Or is, is the main one just the lack of knowledge about how to re- potentially, what you're describing really is a, a restructuring of your student loan debt to allow you to qualify uh, for uh, mortgage lending? Um, I mean, obviously, like a huge issue is and this, by the way, I came to this industry because I was denied my first mortgage and my loan officer knew nothing about federal student loans. And that was my main barrier. I mean, I was a gig worker at the time. This was 2015. It was a few years after my undergrad degree, but I had stellar credit. I had over an 800 credit score. I had decent income. I mean, I wasn't a high earner, but I was a moderate income American. And the house I was trying to buy wasn't too much, too much. And I didn't understand why I was being rejected. And, um, I basically started researching the rules myself and I literally spent a decade prior to my MBA helping with college access, higher education finance. And it was baffling to me that like financial aid officers at a school can't explain what's going to happen after you graduate. That to me was baffling. So it's like, we're doing this to people and we're giving them no understanding or education on what's going to happen Financial aid officers don't even know how to explain the federal student loan program payback, payback, not barn, but payback. So what we're doing right now is we're setting up all these people with all these loans because the university cares about enrollment. They don't care about how you're going to, I shouldn't say they don't care about how you're going to pay afterwards, but their, their position is they want to get you enrolled. They don't want to scare you about the monthly payment post-graduation, right? So they're not focused on that pain point. So actually, when I started working with Ivan and what Spark helped me do, and Bill interviewed my CTO, by the way, before um, my first project with him when he was um, working at StockX, was we built, we built the preliminary software on borrower education. So they understood if I take out this amount and at the projected rate of my four years of undergrad or my X amount of grad school, my payment will be Y and I have to earn this much in order to make this payment. Like we built that. That was our first iteration of software. And we tried to sell it into the universities. That was our first iteration. And the universities are like, no, basically mm-hmm. this is, this will hurt our enrollment. This will, it's the same thing that happened with the college board when they tried to roll out the net price calculator. There was a huge amount of pushback by universities because it's sad, but there's free money to support 
the business of education, right? And so they want students to get access to that money and, and really kind of blindly, it's really, really sad. And, and those that have educated families who have saved and who can talk their children through these options are more prepared than if you're first generation students, like who's going to talk you through those options? Nobody, right? And so I was really passionate about solving the front end side of it, but we knew that that was not going to be um, an easy battle to get into the market. So we pivoted and thought about how we're going to enter from a repayment education side of it. And um, the easiest way we found through me working with thousands of borrowers um, to build the Logic First software is people care most when they're going to be denied something or when their dreams are being inhibited or, or being told, no, you can't get something. That is when the pain point of addressing something becomes very salient and the willingness to pay arises. Right. So that's where we focused in on where are we going to intervene? You know, because just, oh, come to us six months after you, five months, three months after you graduate when you're trying to find housing and a job is not the optimal time. Um, it's really when someone's going to be told no or has been told no. Does that make sense? Sure, it does. And so um, may I get one question and then a final question. Of Tell course. me a little bit about how how what your business model is in terms of monetization how is it that how is it the loan sense I, I i'm imagining it's through this connection with the mortgage lenders but you tell me yeah so um we are paid by the lender uh we are paid a monthly fee based on the size your loan volume the number of loan officers you have um, the loan officers, I'm sorry, the lender buys a minimum number of monthly enrollment credits. And so these credits count as an enrollment per user. So what I'm really a big believer in is we are a borrower first platform, which means we give every single consumer a free analysis. So lender and a lender analysis completely for free. We're only charging for the act of enrolling that consumer and the act of increasing the affordability for a home. So we want to align our incentives with the lending channel, but we also, we want to educate bars and we're not charging to educate them. We charge for the act of assisting them in the enrollment process and then getting the documentation they need for underwriting. That's what we're charging the lender. Got it. And we charge and they buy credits, a minimum based on the lender size. And of course they can always buy more than the minimum, but we have a minimum to launch. And that is our, that's our pricing model. Okay, so so I just want to make so for for the audience when you're just saying the, the the phrase enrollment, you mean enrollment in a in a program to restructure their student loan. Right, precisely. Kind okay. of like TurboTax, like you pay to e-file, right? You mm -hmm. don't pay to input your info into TurboTax, mm -hmm. right? You don't pay to get the analysis on how much you can save on your taxes. You're paying for the act of e-filing. Like that's the same concept as loan sense. We'll give you a free estimate. We will give you free education. We'll give you free tool tips, free help, but you're paying for that act of the final act of the enrollment and then getting back the improved debt to income data for the underwriting process. So it, it, we, had a, we had a question prepared, but part of the, always one of these conversations is, is hearing some things that you say and maybe maybe framing it a little differently. So. What I what I found interesting about your history was you 
you had a taste of corporate America and decided you didn't want to do that, that you wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so the question that we had prepared was, well, what piece of advice would you offer an entrepreneur who's just starting out? I guess what's interesting about your story is maybe part of the advice is make sure, you know, that you know what you want to do before you do it, I guess. That would be great if we all could do that. But what I I guess what I meant by that was, um, you know, many people think they might want to be an entrepreneur and then they really find out, no, you know, I probably want to work for an entrepreneur. I don't, I don't want to, because it's, it's a different, it's a different mindset, right? And you, you had sort of the reverse of that. You had, oh, I'm doing these internships and I know what you're talking about it, Ross, because we have taken interns into Spark from time to time. So it is an exploration of options, right? And I just find it really interesting that you did that and came away with not for me. So talk a little bit more about that. Okay, so the number one thing I have for anyone thinking about, do I want to be a founder or not, specifically founder, because I think being a founder of a tech company may be different than starting a small business or something. But I want to talk about being a founder of a tech company specifically. Um, For me, it's really vital to understand your personality type. Are you okay with completely unstructured there, there, the problem you want to solve has no concrete solution and there might be competitors who are doing it, but I bet you, you could do it way better somehow. So how creatively are you a, a thinker? How um, comfortable are you with a completely unstructured set of problems and nobody to tell you how to do anything? And how comfortable are you wearing multiple hats and navigating complete uncertainty and having resiliency and being told no 1,001 times and still coming back? Like, you got to have those character traits. Um, And if you don't have that and you need, like, a procedure, a protocol, and acts to to follow, then being a founder is probably not the best place for you. Um, I think really dwelling into what challenges you've had in your past life and thinking about how to build more, um, like in academics, right? A hundred is what people strive for. Well, guess what? Being a founder, if you get one in three people to buy your product and, and two, only two out of three are saying no, like that's a huge success and being okay that there, there is no perfection and, and it takes a certain personality type and resiliency. So if people don't have that, like, then being a founder is not for you. It's like pure personality type, I think is very underestimated in the advice I've heard. It's very much like go out and solve a problem and be passionate. Well, you can go out and solve a problem and be passionate anywhere. It's really about the personality type and the resiliency to withhold. And this is why I think immigrants are have a propensity to start companies is because, you know, because of the level of resiliency. My, my other piece of advice is, yeah, I mean, you have to be really passionate about solving a problem and you got to want to solve that problem like 80 hours a week. If you don't have a passion to solve a problem and you would get tired of spending eight hours, then probably trying to solve that problem for 80 hours a week for years on end is not a good um, solution. But I would always recommend people go work with a company or go get experience with a company and see if it's something you want to do before perhaps diving in in yourself or do it as a side gig or something yeah, yeah. while you keep your full-time job because it's a, 
a precarious and an uncertain ride. And it's full of emotions every single day, good and bad. You know, the highs are really highs and the lows are really crappy. So you got to be okay with that. Yeah. I think the other thing that, that, that we try to do um, is, uh, you know, we, we've run successfully these things we call boot camps. And part of it is, is that's a way for people who, who may have a really great idea or a product or something to, to explore what it means to be actually starting, starting a company, right? And, and I think that the two things that playing off of your advice, and I think you've done that, is there's also the point of, you know, you have to be willing to put yourself out there and ask people, ask people to help you, right? I mean, and, and at least in our community here in Ann Arbor, there are people that will are, are ready to do that. You know, they're, they're ready to take the time to help you. And I think the other piece I think that's, that's really important and you did it is a lot of times folks come to us and they have an idea, you know, like there's a problem I want to solve, but there's no customer if you follow where I'm going. And, and what you did is what happens to, for successful entrepreneurs. Well, okay, who this customer discovery becomes really important. And you you figured that out. You want to solve this problem for, for the, the, the student loan population, but to some extent, really, your customer is the, the, the banking community. They may not see themselves that way, but you are actually literally bringing them more business uh, that, that before they were just saying no to, right? So that pivoting concept is really, you hear that all the time, you know, in terms of tech companies and startups and people say that, but it's really true. You know, if you're, if you're trying to sell, you know, it's an old phrase, you're trying to sell snow to Eskimos, you know, I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, maybe that's, that's a good idea, but they're not a customer, right? So anyway. Yeah, I, Paul, anyway. can I just add to that real quick? I want yeah. to add one thing. It's not just selling to mortgage lenders. It's understanding the person, the, the type of mortgage lender and the psychographic down to the detail. What type of lender is this? What psychographic data do you have on them? Like, who are they? Why are they buying? Because if one in three say yes, who is this one in three? Yeah. Because it's a game. You, I need to go out and get that one, more and more of that one right. in three, right? right? Instead of just some generic. So it's like dwelling down deeper and deeper and deeper into the customer insights. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's how we yeah. improve our And a process. lot of times, you know, that, that you know, the, those first customers um, lead to the subsequent customers because in many instances, uh, companies are followers. So if they see a particular lender having great now great success in converting more student loan uh, holders into mortgage uh, uh, borrowers, uh, they're going to say, well, what, what's going on there, right? And so the, the getting that one, as you said, out of three could be really critical to getting two and three down the road. So anyway, Kelly, thank you. This was really, really interesting. Um, congratulations on your success so far. Um, we're pleased to be continuing to work with you and I wish you all the good luck in, in the future and maybe a year or two down the line, we'll check in again and see how it's going. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Um, yeah. I'm really grateful to Spark um, for everything you've done for us. So super grateful. Thanks for your time, Paul. Thank you for listening to Conversations on Economic Opportunity. We hope you'll like and share the content you heard today. For additional podcasts and information about Spark, visit annarborusa.org.